0: Trust. Trust is absolutely essential to everything in life, isn't it? You, you enter a relationship with God by trusting Him, by faith. You continue successfully or you fail by how you do with trusting Him. If you're married, you know your marriage is, is largely built on trust and trusting one another. And if you're dating somebody, uh, that's certainly true. And if you can't trust them, break up with them. Amen. Uh, friendships, uh, relationships at work, relationships at church, so much is dependent uh, depended on how the trust is there. Well, this evening, I want us to try to answer this question: Can we really trust the Bible? Can we really trust the Bible? We're in Second Peter, chapter one. 2 Peter, chapter one, verse twenty and twenty-one, and and this is really, I, I think you 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 know this how super important. This is. These two verses, let me begin with this. These two verses are dealing with the Bible's source, where the Bible comes from. In uh, verses 20 and 21, great verses. I tell you, these are verses you ought to memorize. It says, above all, you must realize no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved along by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Now, there's a couple of thoughts on what this passage is talking about. One thought is is that basically he's telling us that when we go to the Bible to interpret Scripture, that our own interpretation or understanding is not... Simply the most important understanding it's a it's a concept that these verses are talking about how we as individuals interpret scripture, and that 's not what this passage is talking about in fact uh, when it talks about understanding in the new living translation or interpreting in verse twenty that word for put verse twenty back up there and just leave that if you would Brian verse twenty on the screens is it up there there it is okay I, there, yeah, you see. That you must realize that no prophecy of Scripture, above all, you must realize, came about by the prophet's own understanding. Understanding that word interpretate there uh, in other Bible translations. That's not the the normal Greek word or Bible word for interpreting Scripture. In fact, there's two other biblical Greek words used for just a simple interpreting of Scripture. That's not the word used here. What this is talking about here, it's dealing about understanding where did the Bible come from. When it talks about prophecy, where that no prophets that un- own under prophecy came in Scripture from the prophets own un- understanding the word prophecy does not primarily mean they're predicting the future. It means proclaiming the truth. And when he uses the word Scripture, that could be talking about a single text or it can be talking about the whole Bible here. And he's trying to, add, to answer this question, which is we're going to see how important it is, is where did the Bible come from? In fact, the second thing I want to share with you, the Bible's source is of utmost importance. Now, think about this with me. Who gave us the Bible is everything, isn't it? I mean, if the Bible is wrong, what is it wrong on? And if it came by other people's or just humans' understanding or their explanations... Or if it came from God, it's huge. In verse 20, it says, Above all, you must realize no prophecy in Scripture came about from the prophet's own understanding. Above all, first of all, in order, it did not come from... Where where did it come from? That that literally means where's its birthplace? Where's its origin? Who wrote the Bible? Is the question he's trying to answer? And this is so gigantic. I remember several years ago, this was in Texas at another church. A, a person that I was very close to had a great relationship. We were talking one time, and we were talking about something in. It was either in Corinthians or Ephesians, and I, uh, I kind of debated a little bit with this person's understanding, and they looked at me, laughed, and said, oh, I, I don't think Paul knew what he was talking about there. Okay? I remember in seminary, it was not as friendly a discussion when a friend and I were actually talking about First and Second Peter and some things that were said here. And he looked at me, and I, I guess I was winning the argument because when you begin to win the argument, either they've got to say, you, you're, you're right, or they've got to get angry, correct? And he got angry, and he said, Peter did not know what he was talking about when he said that. Hmm. Folks, if, if the Bible just comes from Peter, or Paul, or if it comes from me, or if it comes from you, or if it came from some monks up in the mountains who were just bored, or some Jewish priest, or if it comes from God, he tells us where the scripture is birthed from, where it came from, where its origin is of utmost importance. How many of you agree with me on that? By the way, you're not agreeing with me, you're agreeing with what the Bible says here, but a first importance... Understand this. And let me share with you something that I think is so gigantic to everything we are and do. The entire Bible comes directly from God. The entire Bible comes directly from God. It's not tells. It's not myths. Look in verse 20 and 21. Above all, first and foremost, in order, you must realize no prophecy in Scripture. One verse or the whole book ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Or from human initiative or human birth or origin. No, the prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, that man, that is gigantic. The Bible didn't come from man. The Bible didn't come from man's opinion. The, The Bible is not man's opinion on God's Word. What he says here. He says the Bible came from God. You notice he says, as they were moved, in verse 21, by the Holy Spirit. This word move means to carry something along. It it means to sustain something. Now, that's important. It means to lead it or to lead it forward. Let me repeat this. When it says they were moved by the Holy Spirit, they were carried along, they were sustained, and they were led forward by the Holy Spirit. In the ancient world, this word oftentimes was used about a sailboat when the, the, the boat was... Caught the wind and the wind carried it along. I heard a, a Bible scholar illustrate it in, in, in our day, maybe a little bit, a couple of generations back. How many of you ever rode a ferry? You don't see a lot of ferries anymore, at least in America. I don't in our part of the country. But I remember as a kid uh, on the Mississippi River somewhere around Tennessee and Arkansas, we would occasionally get on a ferry. And as a kid, that's pretty cool. I'm sure as a parent having four children, that was not afraid we're going to fall into the Mississippi River. But, you know, when you you get on a ferry, whether you're walking or in a car, that ferry is going to carry you where you're going, isn't it? That's the word here that the Holy Spirit carried these people as they were writing the scriptures, that it's birthed in God. There's a lot of different theories about how the scripture was inspired or given to us. Let me give you the theory I buy into. It's called the plenary verbal theory. Plenary means all, and verbal means words. And what the plenary verbal theory means is that God inspired all of the scripture. He didn't just give us nice thoughts or inspirational words. Every word of the Bible came from God, and he used man in the process. Now, the plenary verbal uh, understanding of Scripture being given to us doesn't say God put man in a trance like, you know, Peter, or Paul, whoever was writing, and they just witnessed, and God just began to their hand like that. No, it's that God used those people. He used their personalities. He used kings. He used peasants. He used people over hundreds of years to write the Bible as he carried along and he led them. My my, uh, understanding of the Hebrew and the Greek is very elementary, but one of my professors in seminary who was a great New Testament scholar said, as you read the Greek of what Paul wrote and as you read the, the Greek language of what Peter wrote, you can tell a big difference. Paul had the equivalent of two PhDs. Peter was a professional fisherman. Nothing wrong with either one of those. They probably write and talk differently. Amen? Uh, We live in the land of PhDs. You understand that. And he said that you can tell the difference in their, their grammar and their sentence length and structure. But it was all by God. There's 13 books in the New Testament we believe that Paul authored, 13 letters. Paul probably wrote hundreds of letters. Thirteen had the stamp, the carry, the inspiration, and the authority of God put on those. Are you following me? Is this important? Oh, it's of utmost importance. How many of you have a, or ever have had a red-letter New Testament? You know what that is? In fact, my, mine is here is a red-letter New Testament. And what if you don't know what that is, it's the words of Jesus, we believe, are in red and I've always liked that, and I've always kind of felt warm and fuzzy about that. Several years ago, there was actually a movement. Some books came out called the Red Letter Movement, where these Christian leaders were saying, we're going to focus on the words of Jesus above everything else. Here's what's dangerous about that. The Bible says all the word of God is all the word of God. And by the way, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John a hundred times and the rest of the New Testament a hundred times, they don't contradict anyway. My friend in Texas referred back, well, this is what Jesus said on the subject or Jesus never addressed that subject. You hear that hogwash all the time. Folks, if the Bible addressed it, God addressed it. Did you hear me? Well, Jesus didn't ever say anything directly about this. If it's addressed in 2 Corinthians or in Revelation, Jesus addressed the issue. That's gigantic. Cindy and I had a a friend in in, uh, in Texas who was part of a strange religious group. They were almost half Jew, half Christian, if you can imagine that. And they still celebrated a lot of the feasts. they were very legalistic. They wouldn't eat pork. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. I was talking to this person one time about, well, and she wanted to know why we ate pork and loved Jesus. And I said, well, because we believe that the Jewish dietary laws were lifted by Christ himself. And I quoted something out of Galatians for her. And she brushed it off and said, that's just Paul talking. That's not God. To her, the first five books of the Bible were the word of God. Everything else was just for man. Let me tell you what Paul himself says. This may sound cocky, but I believe it's the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, listen to this. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the, read that aloud with me, the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, listen to what God, through Peter, Peter says, and remember our Lord's patience. He gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. How many of you would agree with that? (laughs) Peter was saying, Paul, could you dumb it down a little bit? But he didn't. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do. Read this with me, with other of the scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Isn't it neat when when Peter talked about God and things that were being delivered from Paul? Many of his writings and his writings we have in the Bible. What Paul, Peter said, it's scripture. And Paul, there's a place or two where he says in his writings, what I'm saying right now, this very brief time. In Corinthians, he says, this is my fault, not God's, but I think it's right. But everywhere else, he's saying, this is what God has told me. This is the word of God for you. The Bible itself tells us that a first importance is understanding where the scriptures come from. Is it just a good book? Is it inspired like Shakespeare no, the Bible says it sources God. It originated at, a, at, at birth with God. Now, that brings us to the fourth thing tonight. The Bible is totally trustworthy. Can you trust the Bible? Absolutely. I want to read verse 21 to you again. This didn't come from human initiative. No, prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. God gave it. God protected the process. It's from Him. Christian Women Magazine several years ago had a funny story of a little girl was sitting with her mother, six year old girl, and the preacher was preaching on the Bible, being the Word of God, and God wrote the Bible. And the little girl looked at her mama, and she was looking at her Bible, and she says, "Mama, did, did tapped it? Did God write? Is this God's writing?" And the mama said, yes, it is. And the little girl paused and looked at it. She goes, God sure has neat handwriting. Amen. Amen. He does, and he has perfect handwriting. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. That first part, all Scripture is God-breathed. Friend, let me tell you something. If God breathed it, it's perfect. Through and through. Trustworthy 100%. Several years ago, and I bet this is higher today in the United States, Christianity Today said in surveying people, close to 50% of the people in America, adults, said the Bible has errors in it. You know what the Bible says about that? It says it's the perfect Word of God. I love our Baptist faith and message. It's a statement of faith, of general Baptist beliefs. What it says about the Bible, it says we believe the Bible is truth without any mixture of error. Truth without any mixture of error. Chuck Colson was a lawyer for Richard Nixon, got caught on the wrong end of Watergate, went to prison, and got saved. And he got out of prison, he became a preacher and a writer he was in a debate once with the infamous atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare. And Colson had seen before that when, when people would debate... O'Hare, she would get angry, she would curse, she'd be violent, you know, not physically violent, but, you know, with literal, uh, figuratively violent, and she would often s- talk about all the errors in the Bible. So he snuck a Bible in his coat to the interview, to the debate, and in the middle of the debate she looked at him and she said, that Bible is full of errors. He pulled it out of his pocket, handed it to her right there on TV, and said, find them. And he shut that big mouth up, at least for the rest of that debate next time someone tells you the Bible's full of errors hand it to them I've heard politicians I've heard people who are smart in a lot of areas but also very dumb when it comes to the Bible talk about the contradiction in the Bible the Bible doesn't contradict itself it contradicts us and either you got to admit you're wrong or you got to you got to attack the Bible that's what people do the Bible is the word of God folks It is totally trustworthy. It's totally trustworthy. Its source is from God. Its origin and birth is from the Holy Spirit. It was given from God through men for men. It's totally trustworthy. So I want to give you three things this evening we need to do with the Bible. Number one, we need to accept it as God's perfect word. For some of you tonight, that may be a leap of faith. You may say, you know, I struggle with it. Well, I want you to put your nose in it, read it, let it change you, and I I believe you'll come back and tell me you believe it. But you've you've got to come to a point where you're going to say, I'm going to accept the Bible as the perfect word of God. Psalms 119, verse 138. Psalms 119, by the way, is the longest chapter in the Bible. If you ever hear a preacher say, begin a sermon by saying, we're going to go verse by verse through Psalms 119 tonight, you better head to the bathroom. You're going to be there a long time. Uh, But it talks about the Bible all the way through this chapter. Your laws are, read that with me. Your laws are and completely trustworthy. Your laws are perfect and completely trustworthy. It's interesting in verse 20, he says, above all, you must realize, the word realize there is to know. And it's to know something experientially. It's like a husband and a wife know each other in a way that's personal and intimate. And God says, I want you to know. I want you to know where the Bible came from. I want you to know that it's trustworthy. You can't build your life on it. You won't keep your nose in it. You won't obey it until you accept it as what it is. You, you really won't. Billy Graham is, is arguably the greatest Christian leader of the 20th century, at least the one that we know of. And Billy Graham, when he was a young minister in 1949, he was doubting whether the Bible was the Word of God. He was, he was having a lot of doubts about it. And some of his friends had been off, and they had begun to doubt the Bible and say it wasn't the Word of God. They didn't trust it. So he went up in the mountains in California, and he spent several days just by himself with God. And he said, finally, he put his foot down, and he said, I don't understand it, a lot of it. I can't make sense of some of it. But here I stand, I'm going to accept from cover to cover, the Bible is the authoritative, inspired, perfect Word of God. It was a short time after that he began a crusade in Los Angeles, California that went for six weeks. And that, began the, that was the beginning of his great, great worldwide ministry. Do you think it's a coincidence that God inspired and blessed him at the same time he said, I take by faith that the Bible is the perfect word of God? It wasn't a coincidence. I want to challenge you tonight, except if for some of you it may be a small step, some of you a gigantic step, but you hold to your Bible that you're, you're holding the perfect word of God Almighty. So important to get there. Here's the second thing. Digest it. We're good at digesting in America, aren't we? I'm going to tell this on Sunday morning so act like you didn't hear it tonight, but uh, I was reading this commentator this week and he said, in Jesus' day they said, pray, Lord, give us our daily bread and today we have to say, Lord, help me avoid the daily bread. Isn't that the truth? We know about digesting. The Bible, the Bible is meant for consumption. Correct, Amendo? Average American spends nine minutes a day in spiritual things. I have no idea what that means. And I did the math today. I, I, I think that would probably include that 60 minutes on Sunday. And if you include that in there, that breaks down to about three minutes a day. I bet the average American doesn't spend nine minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. If the Bible, answer this for me, if the Bible is the word of God, why do we let it sit on our shelves and collect dust? Oh, it's a great book. Psalms 119.48, Psalms 119.48, I honor and I love your commands. I meditate, I dwell, I focus on your degrees. Read it, folks, hear it, study it, memorize, meditate on it, dwell on it. Man, turn on your TV tonight and in one hour, if you watch the news or you watch a show, you're going to be exposed to so much error, so many lies and so many false truths. You can go, unfortunately, you can go to a lot of churches and be exposed to errors, lies, and false truths. You can read Christian books that are full of errors, lies, and false truths. Some of them are not that big, but they're still off base. How do you combat error? Not by getting angry about error, but by digesting the truth. How can I recognize what's wrong if I don't know what's right? Let me repeat that. How can we recognize what's wrong if we don't know what's right? Right is not my opinion. So you'd agree? Say amen. It's not. Well, you no, know it's in the preacher's opinion. Well, friend, let me tell you something. It's not yours either. It's God's. Know it and digest it, and lastly, live it out. Here's the hard part, isn't it? In, in the late 70s and throughout the 80s, the Southern Baptist Convention, which our church is affiliated with, had a controversy. How many of you paid any attention to that or remember any of that? Some of you weren't born yet. I wasn't born, but I remember it from my parents telling me about it. And the controversy, it was, it was on several things, but one issue that kept coming to the front was that one group said one, they didn't believe the Bible. They were liberal. The other group said they believed the Bible. And so you had, a, you had a, a, a battle, basically, for about 15 years in our convention. I don't know how much is true or not true, but I think there probably was some people in our convention in leadership positions that did not hold strongly to the Word of God. That's bad. I can be the nicest guy in the world... But if I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, I have no business being a preacher or teaching at a seminary. The problem was is sometimes the other group who really believed the Bible were just mean. <laughs> you know, we believe the Bible and you don't, therefore we're going to beat you over the head with our Bible. Do you see a problem there? James one twenty two solves that. But don't just listen to God's word. Whose word? God's word. It's God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. In other words, the Bible is God's word. Accept it. Digest it. But by all means, live it out. Live it out. There's nothing worse to me than wishy-washy liberal Christianity that believes nothing. But maybe just as bad as very strong, orthodox, right-believing Christians who are just mean as snakes. We We can get both of those things right, can't we? We can believe the right thing and be the right person. That's what God wants us to do. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? Ultimately, the Bible is not about information. It's about transformation. Get it in you. Accept it for the Word of God and then let it change your life. Let it change your life. There was a great story in Chicago. It was in the Chicago Tribune. Rosetta, you may have hung out with some of these people. I don't know. Probably not this person because he was a waiter at a bar, so you weren't hanging out with him. But this guy was from Morocco, and he was, uh, he'd, he'd come to America, was living in Chicago, got a job as a waiter in a bar. He decided to write King Muhammad VI, the king of Morocco, a letter... To tell him he admired him and would love to hear from him someday. And the king of Morocco wrote this man, this waiter, back in America. And people asked, does this king do this regularly? And they said, yeah, he would write people because he loved his citizens. The waiter... Went around, it got to the Chicago Tribune, is how this story got out. Is that he would carry that letter around and he would say, I got to be the only waiter in the world that has a letter from the king. Look, I'm carrying words written to me from the king. Isn't that awesome? I want to tell you something, folks. You got words from the king of kings written to you. Isn't that great? That, that he loves us so much, his subjects, that he gave us a personal message. He used, he used fallible humans, but he did it in a perfect and fallible way through them to give us his love letter. We've got a love letter from the King of Kings written for us. So here's what you've got to do with it. If you're not a Christian tonight, you come tonight and give your life to Jesus. That's what the Bible tells you you need to do. Maybe you'd like to join our church tonight. You come and do that if God's leading you to. We're a church that I hope is going to love people and hold fast to the Word of God. Lastly, as a Christian, I just want to challenge you, where you're seated or at the altar, to make a commitment that you're going to be a man or a woman who accepts the Bible for the, at what it is, digest it, and lives it out. It's of first importance. Let's stand. You respond now as God leads you.